45. Looks like Tom Duncan. <laughs> Sounds like. Must be a duck. <laughs> The girls are the best. <laughs> what? What? The bunny ears are back. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Laugh Underneath the Podcast. Madison, I gotta tell you something. Those bunny ears, they're like a gift that keeps on I got good. like, oh god. Yeah, you're right. I, just, I don't know. Like, this is like a Mickey ear today. Sometimes I watch that in private, by the way, and just giggle. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, that was like a fun, fun episode. We should just do one like just of how, how many times you had the bunny ears in that episode. I'm not going to backdrop placement. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, welcome back to another edition of Laugh Underneath the Podcast. And today I have my friend on here, all the way from Dallas, Texas, Bill Treadwell. Bill, how are you, my brother? Bobby, I'm doing awesome, my friend. I'm excited to do this, man. You guys uh, have a lot of fun on here. Some sometimes I'm jealous. I get too serious on my podcast. I need to need to throw in some bunny ears and stuff. I guess, dude. Look, you got Kyle Draper. That guy will wear, will wear bunny ears any day for you. You and I both know that. Yeah, that's right. Oh, he knows Kyle. He's the one who introduced me to Kyle. It was through Phil that I met Kyle. Yeah, oh. Kyle's Kyle's one of my buddies. Uh, he he's in the Fort Worth side, so we're pretty close and. When we met, we just, I, th- I think we're going to meet for coffee or lunch or something. We end up spending like three or four hours hanging out and he's, he's become one of my best friends. He's, he's a good dude. He's a great guy, man. Great guy. You know, I think that's the nice thing about this business, by the way, is that nice people, we end up meeting each other. That's right. We all gravitate. And, and it's kind of cool that way. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, it's not a surprise when you see people who are connected and who are like, you know, able to connect with one another outside this realm of a podcast or whatever outside the realm of a mortgage industry. And it's just a, a real genuine friendship that I think a lot of us share. And, and I appreciate that. I think that's a good thing. So, but look, man, this is not about friendships and Kyle Draper. He's already had his own episode here. He's, has, he's actually had two episodes. Two. Man. two yeah. episodes. I know you're like a huge fan of his, right? Man? I, I really do like Kyle. So let's see yeah. if we can beat it today. We're going right. to we're gonna try, we're gonna try level this thing up. So. Hey, you guys just need to bring the expectation down. Don't set the bar <laughs> too high here. <laughs> Nah, dude, you, I know you have it coming here. So look, Phil, you have been in the mortgage business, right? And now you have your own journey kind of going into another direction. Is that accurate, right? It is. With the M1 Academy, right? You started that about a year ago. Yeah. And I know that you've had, you know, success inside the mortgage industry. You've had success speaking in the industry. You've had, you know, all these, but I just want to ask you a question because this was really on my mind. You know what I mean? And I know we didn't really talk too much about this in the beginning of it. I was kind of teasing Maddie about my journey in Jersey. We'll talk about that in a bit. But your journey into the mortgage industry, before you started speaking, before you started podcasting, I want to imagine like as a kid, you were like, I want to be a loan officer when I grow up. (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I didn't know there was a T in mortgage when I was growing up. (laughs) So, I mean, what made you get in the mortgage business, man? Man, that's a, it's a great question. It's a, it's a story I've told a few times. So, I tell people that my mom was a teacher and my dad was a builder. So I'm this entrepreneurship meets academia. I had to do good in school. I was pretty much forced to go to college, but all I wanted to do was own my own business. I always had little businesses growing up. I was always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And I, in college, I stopped going to college for a little while, eventually went back and finished my degree, but I was a store manager for Blockbuster Video. And so that was my claim to fame. I had so much fun there. 
And uh, I went, did some other corporate sales type jobs. And I decided I wanted to take over my dad's company. And so I went to him and I said, you know, I want to want to become a builder. I want to take over your company, really scale it. He, for you know, 40 plus years, just did actual true custom homes. If you wanted to build your own home, pick out the plans and, you know, you wanted to wait a couple of years for him to build it, you know, to get in line. He was the guy you went to. Okay. And I'm like, we can scale to development, things like that. And he pulled me aside and said, you know, nothing would make me happier if that's what you decided you wanted to do. But you need to think long and hard before you want to do this for the next 30 or 40 years. And he said, I want you to see what else is out there. And so I thought if I go take some jobs, interview a few places, then maybe, you know, I can come back and, and he'll go ahead and take over his company. Because I grew up working with him. I'd run some crews from him. I, I knew the business. Mm -hmm. And I started like we did in 2003, 2004, went to the classifieds, found a newspaper ad. They're looking for someone with sales and management experience. I had both. I didn't say it was a mortgage company. And a 30-minute conversation, or a 30-minute interview, rather, turned into a three-hour conversation. And the guy said, uh, hey, if you decide to get in the mortgage business, you're going to look back at this conversation one day and cuss me. Because once you get in the mortgage industry, it's really tough to get out of it. <laughs> Here we are over 19 years later, and that's about all I've done in, in my professional life. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think Maddie, I mean... I don't know how your journey was in the mortgage industry. I think you were just kind of like thrown into it, if I remember right, weren't you? I was in college going for marketing, kind of same thing. And my guy friend's dad was like, I need assistance. And same thing. He was like, you know, think long and hard. You still have time before you graduate. But if this is the direction you want to take. And <laughs> never went and got a job at an advertising agency or anything like that. So I do wonder like why people don't have this as a desired goal early on in life. No, I don't mean like high school, like, look, nobody, nobody, no, but nobody wants to be like an, I, I guess that nobody wants to be an architect or maybe, I don't know, maybe someone wants to be an architect, but no one wants to be a financial planner, right? Or a CPA or whatever, but you kind of get into those jobs. And I think mortgage industry is similar to that. Like kids Most, want to be doctors, right? Like doctor, I want to be a rock star. Yeah. Like ever since I was a kid, my entire life was about music. All I ever did was play music, study music, and I didn't want to be a musician. I wanted to be a rock star, Phil. <laughs> Listen, when I was a kid, uh, like going back through, you know, you do those art projects or books as you grow up. My mom kept a lot of that stuff. And the first one that I found is apparently I wanted to be an author. As soon as I learned to read, I like apparently wanted to write books. I feel like that's uh, every English teacher, author, something. Right. right. And so before that, um, <laughs> I asked her, I said, you know, like, these are cool. Like I, I want to be an author and then I wanted to be a commercial artist and, you know, had all these different things I wanted to do. And she said, no, that wasn't the author. Wasn't the first thing he wanted. I was like, what, what did I want to be when I was like little, little, she said, you wanted to be a trash man. And I was like, what? She said, you want to be a trash man. And I wanted to ride on the back of the truck. I saw those guys coming down the street and I got to ride on the back of the truck. I'm like, I want to be a trash man. I remember my mom saying, we had a little higher hopes for you. We hope you'd kind of grow out of that phase, but I wanted to be a trash man. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing man. wrong with it, you know? I always wanted to be a snowplow driver when I was in kindergarten. I remember being wanting a snowplow job when like kindergarten or first grade. Because I thought it was just so cool when they would come around. I know you guys don't get snow in Dallas, but. You know, me and Maddie, we, we get snowed in. But oh, yeah. So what made you, like, say, okay, look, I've been doing mortgages. I want to kind of – because I remember running into you at the summit in 2019 at the Vision Summit, right? I think you were speaking there and I was speaking there, right, in Tampa. 
Um, but what made you like make that decision? Like, I want to take this to the next level. Like, I want to be a speaker. I want to be a coach. I want to be a mentor. What What was that moment? You know, it was kind of a series of moments. the The first moment was as I would had you know kind of grown up in my career. Started as an originator. A few years later, started running a branch. Uh, went on to own my own broker shop. Uh, through the financial crisis, I had sold my company done a few different things. And as I went into more leadership roles, area manager, regional manager, things like that, in really 2017, I was struggling to recruit outside of the areas that I had already had, you know, business in. I'd been a loan officer, I'd had branches. When I got outside of those, my effectiveness in recruiting went way down. Mm. I realized that at the time we Googled people, if you didn't know who they were, people didn't know who I was, didn't know who my company was. And I, I was like, okay, we're, we're Googling people. I need to give them something to see. I need to figure out how to create some credibility and some ethos. And so I started trying to get featured in articles, uh, did some blogging, some content marketing. And then there was this crazy guy screaming on Facebook about a personal brand, which you know we all know is, is Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> And he had this piece of content where he's like, you know, there's so many businesses and industries where these these white haired people at the top of the industry that aren't interested in growing and evolving because they're at the twilight of their career. And they either want to they don't want to spend the money because they're not going to be around for the payoff or they just don't want to learn anything new. I thought, man, there's a lot of parts of the mortgage industry that are like that. Yeah. So I started creating content. And eventually the podcast, and that's kind of a whole different story. But as I started doing that, it just organically some doors opened. I, the kind of first big stage I was on was at at Housing Wire Engage Marketing Summit, the first Mm -hmm. one they did. I had already, Clayton Collins, the the CEO, had asked me to come do some live podcasting. We were going to do an episode with Ryan Serhant because he was the keynote. And uh, there was a hurricane on the East Coast and some of the North Carolina people that were supposed to fly in couldn't. And he pulled me aside and he said, we've got a panel spot open on, uh, I think it was like customer journey or, or, you know, customer experience, something like that. And he said, that's kind of what you do. And I remember filling in for that panel spot and thinking, I kind of like this, like Mm. this is good. And so that was the part from a speaking perspective is I really liked being able to have a captive audience where we could unpack a thought, you know, captive audience in person is very different than a passive audience on social media or in a podcast in some sense. Uh, So that was that part. The coaching part is really, it was something I'd always done is as a manager, as a leader, I've always had coaches. I've always had mentors. I mean, the very first beginnings in high school and college, I always had like a teacher or a coach or someone who was kind of that mentor role, my, my dad as well. Mm-hmm. And it just always came naturally. I mean, almost everything that I've done in my career that's had any success, there's a direct correlation to a coach or mentor that took their experience and imparted it to me in wisdom. And I yeah. was able to learn from that. And so that's just something I'm very passionate about as a whole. Uh, you actually interviewed Gary V. I remember that. I did. Yeah. yeah. How did that come around? So Gary V originally, because I, I you know, was so into his content in, in 17, 18 and, and 19, he was kind of the ungettable guest. He was really just kind of the unicorn of, can I get Gary V, you know, on my podcast? And, uh, 
I understood as I continued to get bigger and bigger guests within the mortgage industry on you, you wanted to figure out a way, how can I add value? Mm -hmm. They know the value of them coming on your little podcast. And we were, we were joking about equipment before we started recording, but I started with a hundred dollar blue Yeti microphone and a $40 Logitech webcam. That's mine. But I, <laughs> I don't even have today. <laughs> yeah. And, and I honestly, I bought it and it sat for six months before I did anything with it. Right. So I understood that content was king. I just had this, you know, piddly little podcast and I understood, Hey, there there's value in podcast was kind of new in the mortgage industry at the time we were exposing them to a potentially different audience, but it needed to add values. So anytime there was a, somebody had an event or a book or a program, I wanted to make sure and help promote that and add value. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what, what in the world can I add value to Gary V? Like what in the world? Well, when he was doing the agent 2021 events, the first one didn't include mortgage. It had like travel agents. Well, the next year they swapped it out for mortgage. And I thought, here's an opportunity. So I literally just cold emailed the Gary at VaynerMedia that he would share on his blog all the time. And in all caps in the subject, I put more butts in seats at agent 2021. And I just kept it short. And I said, I have a podcast, you know, we're doing thousands of downloads a month. I think I can help do some tickets. I've had Ryan Serhant on. I knew he knew Ryan. So I was like, I can name drop a little bit. Yeah. yeah. A couple of days later, he responded, I would do it. Um, the short version of, of the rest of the story is we had scheduled a Zoom for like about a month later to do it. And about five minutes before we we're supposed to start recording, um, one of the guys on his team said, I'm so sorry to do this. Had some meetings get backed up. He's got to travel. We'll reschedule. We never rescheduled before Agent 2021, but I got to meet him there, do dinner, you know, got to kind of be around him. And then I'm like, okay, how do we now? What do I do now? How yeah. do I add value? And so there was a series of events, but it took another, it was the, the next October, it took almost a year of continuing to follow up and create relationships and, and add value in different ways. But then they reached out and said, Hey, we'd like you to actually come to VaynerMedia and, and record one here in his office. And I'm like, that's like Mecca for marketing. Like, I'm <laughs> right. go and so it was a really, really cool experience. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. I mean, you're, you're the reason I asked Madison to join us actually, because she is, a, she is my co-host, but I don't always invite her on these episodes, right? She has her own little show now, mm -hmm. Phil is grown up. She's got this thing called laughing and eat with madness. So that's her old little thing. Love it. You know what I mean? But she is basically, you know, you're you're what your third year as a loan officer. December Second. will be three years licensed as a loan officer, and I was that's a loan officer. You got Phil Treadwell coming on. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got a new loan officer, pretty much. We're having the highest interest rates in 21 years, <laughs> right? Madison's smiling and looking pretty calm right now, but I imagine after the show ends, she's gonna have a meltdown because tomorrow. No, I've been doing really good, Father. Don't, <laughs> don't ruin my my mojo. <laughs> So what advice do you give loan officers, Phil? I mean, in this in industry that we're in, I mean, especially in their early years, it's, I mean, this is oh, my you, question. Sorry. I have written down. All right. All right. I'm going to let you take over. How's that, Maddie? No, no. Take over. No, I want the answer. So, so the question is what, what's my advice to, to newer loan officers? Newer especially loan this environment? So there's, there's really two things. Okay. The first okay. is business has been done is being done and will always be done based on relationships. We tend to want to search for the magic bullet, the or, or magic pill, silver bullet, whatever. And really success is about consistent and persistent effort over time. 
I wrote persistence and consistency down. That's exactly that was right. another one of my questions. Okay. That, that, that's the core of it. See, a lot of us understand about being consistent, but persistence where we get stuck because being persistent means we stay consistent whether we get results or not. Sometimes we're consistent, we get some results and we slow down or we stop or we don't get results and, and you know, it, it, it gets monotonous. But the first part of, of the relationship piece is go be human, right? Social media is about being social. If someone wanted to add business right now, this second, today, if you want more loans, you need more leads. Mm -hmm. To get more leads, you need to start more conversations. The easiest way to start more conversations right now is to engage in other people's content, especially realtors. Because let's be honest, most realtor content isn't that good. Mm. So there's not like a whole lot of comments that you're competing with. And so if, yeah. if you engage in other people's content in a non-salesy, non-spammy way, there's an opportunity to start a conversation. But again, we think once we have a conversation that we need to sell, right? Relationships take time and we just don't give it enough time. And because so many loan officers are reaching out to realtors right now, they can smell the desperation. And mm. let's be honest, needy is creepy. That, that, that just turns them off. So you have to build relationships. I know a guy that's in, in the Bay Area in California. When he started in the business years ago, his mentor told him, everywhere you go, every person you meet, get a name, phone number, and email address. Everyone. Just say, have, you know, I'm in the mortgage business and real estate industry. I'm an advisor. We share a lot of cool content. I'm not going to sell anything. Let me get your info. That way we can just kind of, you know, whatever. And all he did for an entire year was build up his database. Wow. Next year, he did $40 million. The third year, he did $100 million. He's done $100 million in production ever since because of that core initial database he built. So relationships, relationships. The second piece is there's opportunities in every single market. You just have to find out what the opportunity is. And so remember, people pay for solutions to their problems. Mm. We pay with our time, we pay with our attention, we pay with our money. So if someone's sitting in a doctor's office waiting room or the DMV or someplace where they're not happy, no one's pulling out their phone, looking at social media saying, man, I hope there's a mortgage vocabulary lesson on here. Yep. Man, I hope I see some graphics of how much production someone did the month before. <laughs> no, they want to be entertained. They want to be informed. They, they want to be taken out of that environment. So they'll pay you with their attention and time if you solve the problem of I hate the environment that I'm in, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about realtors, they pay you in referrals for solving their problem. So if someone's not making enough money or doing enough volume, it's for one of three reasons. The first is they're not clear about the problem that they solve either mm. themselves or they're articulating it to their audience. The second one is people don't believe that they can solve that problem. And that's because they're spending too much time talking about features versus benefit, mm -hmm. right? We're not telling a story about how these problems are solved. And the third is they're just not solving enough problems. You just got to do more, take action, do more activity. And so if you keep that in mind that, is you have a realtor conversation and you make the same joke we did. No one in kindergarten's raising their hands saying they want to be in the mortgage business or real estate. How did you get in this business? Yeah. You know, to know them. And then a, a pivotal question, very tactical question would be, hey, what are you focused on right now? What's your focus these next few months or this quarter? What happens is we tend to tell people something that we're trying to improve on. Mm -hmm. That's what our focus is, as opposed to like, 
drilling down and, and really going all in on, on what's effective, they may offer up their pain point. They may offer up the problem that they have that you may be uniquely positioned to solve. Mm-hmm. So same way with consumers. If we're just out there talking about products and features as opposed to how it benefits them, it becomes like a commercial and we change the channel. But if we're telling stories, if we're offering up benefit, like here's things you know that you can do, that's why Instagram and TikTok and some of these short form videos are so powerful. If you stop talking about refinances and say, here's two reasons that you want to refinance, even in a high interest rate environment, right? We all know that's to remove PMI or to pay off consumer debt because sure. overall their monthly outgo. Or how would you like to own a vacation home or a lake house without it costing you anything on a monthly basis? Yeah. yeah. And explain how they can put it on Airbnb or VRBO. Bottom line, we need to create relationships, add value, get to know them. And understand that we're here to solve people's problems. And there's plenty of opportunity to do that if we're looking, but we end up tunnel vision what we've kind of always done. And that's not the winning formula right now. Isn't it also about building trust with those relationships? I mean, without trust, you're not going to be able to really get your message across, right? So right. in this environment, and Maddie, I'm going to come to you for a second. I mean, you, you, you're you out there and you're, you're a new loan officer, you mm-hmm. know, three years, which is still mm-hmm. relatively new, right? I mean, you're out there trying to build relationships, so you're you're trying to have them somebody trust you, that I can solve. Like to what Phil was saying, I can solve your problem better than Phil can, yeah. <laughs> or better than Fabi can, right? So trust me. I mean, is that an issue that you're coming across more often? I mean, especially with the higher interest rates and less inventory. So I think my biggest. I feel like I adopt a lot of what we just talked about. Um, The only thing that I would say that I caught on early on in my career was that I'm not as authentic over the phone, like calling, 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 calling someone, (laughs) you can tell where I'm from, um, than sitting in person and having a conversation face-to-face. So when I kind of figured that out, I, again, am new in this industry. I'm not the type of person that has thousands of dollars to go spend splitting leads or paying for their marketing, Um, but I have a marketing background. So one of the things that I've always kind of offered or just gotten to know better was what's your social media presence like? Because I feel like that's actually helped build a lot of trust because they see me on social media and there was already some sort of familiarity with it. Um, But the one thing that I will say I struggle with in gaining trust is when you're trying to be salesy and you're trying to, it just that desperation that seeps through. So I've really tried to steer away. I used to just come into a coffee appointment only to talk about the products and services that my mortgage company offers. Now I don't even go into that coffee appointment hoping to touch on mortgages or the things that every other person knows that they could talk about. So Phil, you just kind of heard her kind of explain to you. I mean, and so, I mean, as a coach now, I mean, and you're trying to guide somebody or coach them up into building trust because ultimately I know your background comes from, you know, the Todd Duncan trust value, all that high trust selling, that kind of stuff. So building trust is critical in all our relationships. Yep. And so what did you just unpack with what Maddie was just saying? Yeah, love this. So this this is right in my wheelhouse in, in a lot of ways. So the first thing we have to understand is, is exactly what Maddie just said. Marketing is about getting someone's attention. Sales is the conversation that comes later when you want to make them a client or a customer. 
right? Marketing and sales are different. With and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Exactly. Most most mortgage professionals think they're marketing. And really, they're just selling. Let's, right. let's be honest. But and put on that marketing hat for a second. It's about attention. Well, effective marketing is the balance of trust and attention, right? So the question is, how do we create trust with someone? There's really two easy ways to create trust with somebody. The first one is find something in common with them. We naturally are drawn to and have an element of trust with people that are like us, mm. that like the same things that are have, if, if there, there's a book by Seth Godin called Tribes, we're all part of tribes, right? Mm. All three of us are part of tribe mortgage, tribe mm -hmm. podcast, you know, um, uh, tribe snowplow, like I grew up in Missouri, right? Uh, then we were in different tribes of all of the physical features we have or the sports teams we like or all these different things. If you can identify a few tribes with someone that you're of the same one, mm. there's automatically an element of trust there. And here, here's an easy example. Um, if I were in Europe and I see someone from the United States, like, oh, hey, I five, I'm from the US. But we don't do that here unless being from Texas, I'm in New York. Oh, yep. hey, I five, I'm from Texas too. But I don't do that in, in Texas unless being from Dallas, I'm in Austin, right? And you see how this whole thing goes. We're That's naturally cool, That's totally cool. Love, right? that. love that. Love so, that. So the second way that we can create trust in this trust and attention is once we have their attention, we give them something of value without asking for anything in return. Right. That's why content is important, important. That's why, you know, some type of a, of a, you know, downloadable or value add or advice or whatever that is. If you offer something up without asking for return, they trust you because you're not just in it for the sale. That's really where trust gets lost in mortgage and real estate is both clients and partners with each other automatically assume you're only doing this because you're going to get something or because you're, you're telling me if you do this, I do that. Mm. In some instances, quid pro quo is fine. But right now, if you're trying to build relationship and trust, it's how do I offer something to them that I'm not asking for anything in return. But part of that is we don't reciprocate with takers right? Yeah. We do want to naturally reciprocate with people that added value to us. We seem and to so, kind of, you see, we, as far as I'm concerned, it's like when, when I run into takers, I'm almost turned off. Right. I got to admit, I mean, I, I've never said this before on this podcast or any of I mean, I, I'm always like, I get this creepy, cringy feeling like I really don't want to be around them, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, yeah. and look, in this industry, it's not like everybody's like that, but there are some people in this industry that are like that. Yeah. And they'll well, there was a pod, yeah, there was a podcast that, and I don't, I'll have to figure out after this, but I watched it in a podcast that you, or listened to a podcast that you did. And the guy was talking about how when you are calling someone, your hope is, oh my gosh, Maddie's calling me. I want to answer the phone. She's going to bring me something of value. She's going yeah. to tell me something awesome. She's going to invite me to an event. Whereas there are some realtors when I see their name come across my phone. I'm like, like my whole body. I'm like, they're going to just annoy me, sell me on something, ask me for something. So just like that perception. And yes. I think one of the things with marketing, coming back to like the marketing versus sales, so coming from a marketing background, one of the most, like my favorite classes that I ever took in college was consumer behavior, 
where it was really unfolding the psychology behind a consumer. Mm. And so I think when you really take a look at whether it's from a client or a customer approach, how are they operating their business or just like from a client perspective, how are they running their personal finances right now? And what can I assist them or aid them with that I see from an outside perspective that they might not even realize they need help with. So I try to help people with the things that they don't even realize they need help with or show them a different way of solving the same problem that they're coming to you with Mm -hmm. in a way that's not cliche or every other loan officer can do it. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And the episode that you're referring to is is John Israel, Mr. Thank You. He's here local. First of all, that's one of my favorite episodes. I got to do it in person. I don't get to do that a lot, mm-hmm. uh, but it was it was it's extremely powerful that gratitude can be a competitive advantage or unique value offer, and especially for new new loan officers or really any loan officer, if you'll understand why you do what you do, right? That comes from your past, and you look at what it is you're trying to do going forward. In the middle, you're going to find a unique value offer. It's not about doing something that no one else can do. It's how do you do what you do in a unique way? You are the uniqueness. We are the uniqueness in a unique value offer. And and so we all know that whenever we meet someone for the first time and they find out we're in the mortgage business, almost every single time, what do they ask about? Rates. Rates. What are rates doing right now? Why are rates so high? (laughs) Exactly. That's because- Getting a t-shirt made. Don't ask. (laughs) <laughs> we've done a terrible job as an industry about giving them anything else to talk about. That's the, the stereotypical value that they see is what's the lowest rate we can offer. Mm-hmm. And if you've started with that, it's very difficult to back into here's the advice, here's the, the services and, and product that I provide. So instead, if you come up with a unique value offer and then have a good one line conversation, uh, it changes the narrative. For example, when we had our production team, I would say we have a mortgage practice that helps people build real estate wealth. We were your brew team, B-R-E-W. I opened up a craft beer brewery. I love coffee. But when you say we have a mortgage practice, which is a little bit different, Mm -hmm. that helps people build real estate wealth, they don't go, what's the rate on that? They say, interesting. How do you do that? Yeah. And then you have some other things to say. So a unique value offer is just around changing the narrative. Like Renee Rodriguez is, is one of my best friends, is, is, a, is a mentor and a friend. When he talks about claiming the frame, we all have these things in our mind that we instinctively think of, the stereotypes almost, and mortgage professionals have them as well. And that rate thing is a stereotype. So if we go claim the frame and we give them a different narrative up front, they won't default into that. And we have a different series of conversations with people. So that's something that can increase your effectiveness and just having conversations with people by stop saying, I'm a loan officer, I'm in the mortgage business and have what I call a grandma statement. Yeah. Grandma's uh, statements, a mission statement, so simple, even your grandma understands it, right? <laughs> Take the industry jargon out of it and just go relate to people. You know, let me ask you a question because you mentioned gratitude. I want to kind of put a pin on that and, and dive into that because like, that's a huge part of my life, has been a huge part of my life. But there's another layer that I've kind of tripped into. And I really mean tripped into because I didn't see it coming. Right. And that's the abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset. Right. And I think once you hit that abundant mindset of like, and I mean, I, I I had a conversation with somebody that we all know, right? I don't want to get into it, right? 
and the, the the thing was, I don't believe there's a zero sum game anymore where right. Maddie wins and Fabi loses, or Phil loses and Fabi wins. I feel with this new mindset that I developed in the last couple of years, we all can win. There's yeah. nobody that does it. There's no more zero sum game in my life. Okay. So how does somebody take that abundance mindset and come out and say, look, Phil, I get you, buddy, but I haven't closed a loan in two months. Yeah. You know what I mean? How do I, how do I capture that, that mindset and then still have that abundance when I'm not getting paid any, any commissions? See, I, I love this because M1 Academy, the M1 stands for mindset first. Mm-hmm. Mindset's not the only thing, but it is the most important thing. Our mindset controls our attitude and our actions. And those are the only two things we actually have control over. We can't control our clients. We can't control the market. We sure can't control our referral partners. We can control what we do and how we respond to things. So if someone's like, hey, I haven't closed you know, any loans in a couple of months. I need to close loans. Well, a second ago, I gave you a piece of advice to create more leads now. Because I can give you multiple examples of not just getting one deal, but closing tons of deals off of one DM conversation because I commented on one post. Now, if you do that five, six, eight, ten times a day and organically in a non-salesy, non-spammy way, commenting and being social on social media, those things will happen. You don't post videos and wait for the phone ring. You go be social. But the first thing they have to understand is you need to have daily habits and non-negotiables. Okay. Our mind only distinguishes between wins and losses, but not how big they are. Mm-hmm. So for example, I, I, anybody that, that sees on Instagram, I, I wake up really early, about 4.30 in the morning, mainly because I hate it. I, I don't like waking up early. I'm a night out. Like it's, it's terrible. I hate it. <laughs> I do it because that's a win. Then when I go to the gym, that's a win. Listen to some content, that's a win. On and on and on. So what happens is when I go into my first call or appointment or anyone does, even if it's like you fall on your face, it's a failure, like, you know, something bad happens. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, well, that sucks. All of a sudden I made my bed. That was a win. Those cancel each other out. I still have momentum. Nice. So momentum creates motivation. Yeah. So we can trick our mind by doing small daily habits, having a morning routine, having some non-negotiable tasks. That's what moves the needle in our business. The other thing momentum creates besides just motivation is confidence. And if people don't hear anything else I say, hear this. Confidence is not a personality trait. Confidence is a skill that you learned. You do that by going and taking action. If you're in a bad headspace, go take action and that will put you in a better headspace. Go for a walk, go bust out a workout, go breathe, oxygenate your blood. That oxygenated blood goes to the brain, releases serotonin, endorphins, dopamine. All of a sudden you feel better. Or if you're not taking action, get in a good headspace that'll spur action. Those are the only two things we can control. So going and taking action is what's going to happen right now. And the last thing I'll say is there's never a situation where doing nothing is better than doing something, even <laughs> if it doesn't work out. If that. you do nothing, you get nothing. If you do right. something, you either get some results, get a win, or yeah. you have an opportunity to learn something. And that's the very epitome of a growth mindset. Yeah, man, I, 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 I've, I, I heard this st- statement about 10, 15 years ago, and I finally began to start seeing it in my life, which was, you can't think your way into better living. You have to live your way into better thinking. 
Yeah, I love that. And I was like, I mean, I heard it like 15 years ago. It, did, it, it didn't make sense till about maybe two years. I'm very, I'm a very slow learner, Phil. I mean, <laughs> I'm like one of those hard-headed guys on the East Coast that just keeps pounding and pounding and pounding until it hurts. And then I'm like, well, maybe there's a better way. You know what I mean? So listen, guys, we're coming up on the end of this podcast. This is actually happened way too quick, Phil. So you got to come back. No. I mean, this is this, this is not fair. I mean, this I know is that part one. Yeah, this is definitely <laughs> part one, brother. I, I hope you Appreciate give us another it. opportunity to get you back out here and, and talk more about this. But before we go, I, I want to mention that you are a fan of cheese and quesos. What were the chips and quesos? Chips and quesos. Oh my god, queso is cheese, Fabi. Yeah, yeah. So, so queso is Spanish for cheese, but but I should know that I should know. But, but queso is, is a specific type of melted, like you know, Mexican cheese. I I like chips and dip. That that's my jam in this, you know, laugh, lend, eat. I got a lot of funny stories in the the the, the business, obviously in lending and food side. Is hey, I'm uh, my is that like my your go to food? Is that like your comfort queso. food? Like if you're feeling down, you've been on the road for like three, four, five days. You come home, get a bag of chips and dip and say this is it 100 percent. yeah no the problem is chips and queso is nothing but fat and salt and carbs <laughs> which are like terrible for you and so you get done and you feel your heart pounding and then like the next morning you can't squeeze your hands because you like retained all this water from the salt it's not a pleasant experience but listen if, if i'm gonna have a guilty pleasure and i know that the 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 pain that i'm in for like that's that's the one that i choose so, Maddie, I was in Jersey. I got to tell you the story, right? Where I yeah. said the little thing. And my buddy JP's with me, right? And we get this cannoli cake at this diner. Now, you're thinking Jersey. You're thinking cannoli. You're thinking cake. Like, oh, my God. You can't lose on this. Dude, it has such a bitter aftertaste. I was like, where did this come from? Like, does this come from, like, some toxic landfill in Jersey? It was so bad, Maddie. It was bad. Like, I wouldn't what's have suggested getting diner cake. First of all, but I'll mm. pay, I'm gonna literally ship you a good, good cannoli cake. It was actually John Perry Day that day, so we actually John, getting, we're gonna talk to him after this episode. We kept getting bad food throughout the whole day. You guys should have asked me for recommendations. First of all, please, please, please come back. Please, yes. come back. Yeah, another opportunity to get some more information out of you, JP. I know it's not John Perry Day today. But if you could do the honor and get me out of here, I'd appreciate it, my brother. 45, 45. Looks like Tom Duncan. <laughs> Sounds like. Must be a duck. Jersey <laughs> Girls are the best. <laughs> what? What? The bunny ears are back. Oh, shit. <laughs>